Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, May 29th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news, and we'll also answer a couple of questions in the mailbag. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's podcast by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer White Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. All right, so Brad, we didn't have you on the podcast yesterday. You were busy, uh, but you're here today, and uh, we, we have a few news items to get into. Like I said, we'll, we'll jump into the mailbag in just a little bit. I actually want you to talk a little bit about Booksmart, Brad, because I know you saw that recently and, and enjoyed that. So I wanted to, I didn't want you to have to wait all the way until next week when we do a mailbag episode or a, uh, a water cooler episode to talk about that. So we'll get to that. Uh, but before we do, let's talk a little bit about the news. So there is a Love, Simon Disney Plus series coming. And Brad, what do we know about that show now? Yeah, so uh, Disney Plus is turning the uh, Fox property into a TV series. Uh, it comes after Disney purchased Fox and acquired uh, various movie and TV properties from them. Uh, and we just recently got wind of two of the main characters that will be the focus of the new series, and they are characters who were not in the original movie. So the series will not merely be uh, retelling the story of Love, Simon with new actors, and it won't continue the story of Simon either. Uh, instead, there, there will be a new lead character named Victor, uh, who is said um, supposed to be a Latin teenager, around 15 or, uh, or I think 16 or 17 years old. And he's described as being, quote, closeted, really cute, athletic, well-liked, and warm-hearted. Um, he's also the high school soccer star. So that's quite a different character than Simon was uh, in the original movie. He was a, a closeted teenager, um, and, and he was a cute kid too, but he wasn't, uh, you know, this star athlete or anything like that. So that, well, that'll bring a different dynamic to the table. 
And then his love interest is supposed to be another teenage kid named Benji. And this casting, they're being a little bit more open about. Um, he, it's, uh, he's out of the closet. He's very comfortable. Uh, and he's described as being a, quote, super cute hipster dreamboat with perfectly messy hair and perfectly ripped jeans. And he's the kind of kid who's so dreamy that he looks like he's moving in slow motion. And so the uh, un- unlike the casting call for the role of Victor, uh, the role of Benji, they want to get somebody who is uh, actually a uh, gay, bisexual, pansexual, or sexually fluid actor, hmm. which is um, uh, kind of similar to what, with Love, Simon, because Nick Robinson, at least as far as I know, uh, is not actually uh, gay, but he played you know a gay kid in Love, Simon. Um, what's interesting about this is that when the news of the Love, Simon TV series originally hit, uh, it was said that it was supposed to be uh, a series focusing on the sequel book, um, Leah on the Offbeat, which focuses on Simon's best friend, Leah, and her struggles with college and self-esteem, her own sexuality, feeling like an outsider, and all of that stuff. But this, uh, with knowing that uh, Victor is this lead character... It seems like they're just doing a different version of Love, Simon with, with uh, a couple of new characters instead. Hmm. Well, I mean, the, the question that I have to ask in this instance is, if Simon is not going to be the main character of the show, does Love, Simon really make sense for the title for this thing? For Love, yeah. Simon Extended Universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of my thing, too. Like, the only thing I can think of is that it's, like maybe it'll take place in the same universe. Like maybe the, they go to the same high school and they'll make reference to that and so that there's some kind of tie-in factor there. But yeah, otherwise it seems weird to call the show Love, Simon if they're not going to be a part of it at all. Mm-hmm. It kind of sounds similar to what uh, I think the YouTube is doing with the Edge of T- 17 series, which basically just uses the IP of the movie, which wasn't a major hit to begin with, but um, it's a recognizable IP of some sort. And they're kind of just telling a completely different story that's inspired or loosely based on the original film. Yeah, yeah. I guess well, the... Hey, character isn't named 17 right <laughs> right yeah that's true um, hc you saw love simon the movie i have not seen it but i know you and brad both saw it what, what did you think about the movie and what do you think about uh, the potential of a disney plus show even without nick robinson's simon character coming back it's really good i remember really liking love simon i thought that um it was a little bit twee at some points but it was such a heartfelt and um sweet film that you know that kind of I was able to forgive that and so rare too to see um a like gay uh film in a typical high school comedy setting and so that in itself in of itself was like very revolutionary so I really enjoyed Love, Simon I think the performances were great like the the high school comedy setting was just like so spectacular and just like the film itself was just really nice um I don't know how I feel about this new show especially since it is called Love, Simon and is not starring a character named Simon, I would be fine maybe if they even just rebooted it with, you know, a new Simon instead of changing the characters. But um, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, I have my own mixed feelings about Disney um, moving their sort of mid-budget properties onto streaming and TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, I we'll see. If this, I'm sure this is something that will appeal to like the streaming audiences. It feels like Disney Plus here is trying to um, target specifically like the the Netflix demographic who loves shows like On Your Block and all those teen-centric shows that have somewhat similar settings um, and themes. And uh, in this case, Love, Simon kind of is tailor-made for that. 
Yeah, for sure. And Brad, I know you're going to subscribe to Disney Plus because that's like a given considering all the Star Wars content that they're going to be having there and Marvel stuff as well. Um, with all of that content, though, do you think you're going to have time to watch Love, Simon, this Disney Plus show? Is this something you're going to like make an effort to work into your uh, viewing schedule considering how much you enjoyed the movie? Yeah, that's a good question. I did enjoy the movie, um, and, and I, I agree with a lot of... Uh what ht said because it's um it definitely does have a, a little bit of that, that cheesy sentimental factor to it but i think what works in its favor is that even though it hits all the familiar traditional cliche romantic comedy uh high school beats it doing it with uh you know a gay lead character does make it refreshing because you're, you know they're not making like a huge deal out of it they're just making a normal romantic comedy with a lead character who happens to be you know gay mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and i love that and I, I like the idea of disney uh, continuing to do that with a new series on Disney Plus, um, you know, even if the the title does seem like a, a weird choice. So I'm I'm curious, but the, you do bring up the idea of whether or not I can fit into my schedule, and that is uh, that is tough. There's just a lot of content out there, and so I'll probably wait and see, you know, how the trailer looks, see if it's a show that you know piques my interest, something like that. But it's just it's one of those things where there's so much content out there. It's it, it is impossible to keep up with everything new, even if it's something that you are interested in. So it's it's a, a wait and see game for me, I think. All right. Well, speaking of uh, content that you may or may not be interested in, uh, Handmaid's Tale season three, HT. I think uh, it's fair to say that the show has had, um, you know, it it started out really great, and I think the reaction to season two was a little bit more divisive. Um, what did yes. you think about season three? You teased this a little bit on yesterday's episode of the podcast, but now your review is up at slashfilm.com i will link to it in the show notes you can finally tell us now what is the deal with handmaid's tale season three um season three has is a bit of an improvement from season two although it has a bit of a slow start where it kind of feels like it's more of the same but it does attempt to remedy a lot of the problems that i specifically had with season two in which it was just overly bleak and almost soapy in parts and it felt like the show itself was uh, resistant to any sort of change because a lot of the, the of season two was sort of spinning its wheels and kind of biding its time before trying to do anything like revolutionary anyway. And um, The Handmaid's Tale season three does hint at some sort of revolution, although it takes a long time to get there. Um, and I, I will say like the first two, three episodes are pretty sluggish but um after that we start to get into something that um both shifts the narrative and starts to shift the tone a little bit into something that's more akin to a political thriller and which i was really intrigued by and wanted to see more of so i will say season three um while it has still has some of the issues of uh season two and uh kind of um by following june played by Elizabeth Moss so closely, we still have the issues of just kind of being too embedded in her perspective and she becomes somewhat of a frustrating protagonist. Um, It does um, have some improvements in terms of like becoming less bleak, a little bit more brisk and, um, you know, moving beyond that uh, cautionary tale allegory of of, uh, Margaret Atwood's novel and doing something a little bit different and a little bit more um, dynamic with its uh, narrative arc. So one of my favorite aspects of the show is the cinematography, just the the production design, the style, the whole look of the show. Um, have they done anything to change up the look or, or change or introduce any um, new settings or anything like that? 
There are some new settings. There's actually a foray into Washington, D.C., which is really interesting because it shows another city in uh, Gilead, which is even more totalitarian than uh, Boston, which is where the show mostly takes place. And um, that is a really interesting look at um, at the world and kind of in- expand some of the world building that the show has kind of strayed away from. I remember during season two, we had a little hint of that with the colonies, but I wanted to see a little bit more of the world and what was happening. But uh, here it's still kind of slow in introducing different aspects of that, but we do get different settings and there's some really striking imagery, especially that comes with the, um, the DC uh, sort of ad- a segue or um, a subplot, and uh, it's um, it's pretty well done. There's some um, some really yeah striking imagery that recalls like Nazi imagery and everything, and uh, it's uh, I won't go in further into it, but you can read my uh, full review on SlashFilm.com. Awesome, yeah, and again we'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, let's move on. I'm I'm very excited. When when does this come out? Uh, HD. It hits Hulu on June 5th. Okay, June 5th. So that's pretty soon. Um, Mm -hmm. All right, so let's talk about the Black Widow movie. We don't really know much about this film. Brad, tell us what we do know and uh, the most recent update on Marvel's newest movie. Yes, uh, so Black Widow uh, will have Scarlett Johansson back as Natasha Romanoff, uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent and assassin turned Avenger. Um, What we know that, or or, well, I guess we don't technically know, but it kind of has to be uh, a prequel given her fate in uh, Avengers Endgame. At the very least, it has to be something that takes place before the events of Avengers Endgame, unless she suddenly is coming back to life. Uh, but beyond that, we don't really know much about the story details, uh, though we do know that the cast includes Florence Pugh uh, from Fighting With My Family, Rachel Weiss, and David Harbour. Uh, the movie is being directed by Kate Shortland, has a script by Captain Marvel writer Jack Schaefer. And even though we don't know anything, the movie is actually... Uh, in production right now over in Norway under the working title of Blue Bayou. Uh, it's um, shooting in uh, a village over um, over there. Unfortunately, I can't pronounce it because I am not Norwegian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and it does have one of the, those uh, odd characters in it. Um, so, But it, uh, it is underway. And initially, I guess the locals thought that it was a James Bond movie that was shooting nearby. Uh, because uh, that also is shooting somewhere else in Norway. But it has since been confirmed that it uh, is indeed Black Widow because uh, Blue Bayou was actually um, really revealed to be the working title a little while back when the movie was still getting the cast together. Um, it's difficult to say whether or not this actually means um, anything for the movie itself. Uh, we we t- discussed this among the team, and uh, Peter, our resident theme park uh, guru, said that Blue Bayou is the name of a restaurant that's um, part of the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction in the park, has Cajun and Creole cuisine. Uh, It's been around since Disneyland opened um, back in 1967. But that seems unlikely unless Black Widow has some kind of affinity for New Orleans culture or Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) Um, One thing that I I came to mind for me is there's a famous song called Blue Bayou uh, that was originally recorded by Roy Orbison back in 63, and then uh, became even more famous because Linda Ronstadt did a cover of it that became a big hit and was one of her signature songs. And if you go listen to the song, or if you know the song, and you go read the lyrics, the kind of sadness that is evoked uh, from the song, or longing, you know, mixed with a little bit of hope, uh, is something that you could easily tie to Black Widow as a character, as far as her 
isolation based on being raised as an assassin, um, not having a family of her own during those times, and uh, even a longing to belong and, you know, feeling like she finally did when she became part of the Avengers. But more likely than not, the title is merely just something that was pulled by somebody who either has some kind of personal tie to Blue Bayou for some way, because most of the working titles for Marvel movies don't really have any significant meaning to the movies themselves. Uh, for example, the working titles for the Spider-Man movies uh, for Homecoming and Far From Home were The Fall of George and Bosco, and those are just references to Seinfeld episodes. <laughs> so, so more than likely, Blue Bayou is just something that they settled on to uh, use as a code name so that if anyone ever stumbled upon a movie called Blue Bayou Shooting and they didn't know that it was the Black Widow movie, they wouldn't be bothered to stick around to try and take pictures or anything. Yeah, that sounds right. I, when I was on the set of um, Ant-Man and the Wasp a little while back, they said that the uh, shooting title for that was um, Cherry Blue, and we asked Peyton Reed, the director, about it, and he said that it was just a reference to one of his favorite Tim and Eric sketches, so apparently that <laughs> had nothing to do with the movie at all either, so uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's no like direct reference, but that the song thing is interesting, and I think you embedded that uh, song in your article about that, which we have linked to in the show notes so if you want to listen to that song you can do that there um and then before we jump into the mailbag brad i know like i mentioned before you saw book smart recently and i just wanted to give you a you know open the floor and have you talk about that movie so you didn't have to wait a full week to talk about it i appreciate that yeah because i saw book smart and i've been waiting uh with great excitement and anticipation to see this movie ever since jacob saw it at south by southwest and he and plenty of other critics who saw it there were singing its praises uh, the trailers got only got me more excited to see it. It looked hilarious, and uh, this this movie was totally my jam, right up my alley. Uh, great coming of age story. Caitlin Deaver and Beanie Feldstein are this incredible comic duo. Um, I, I love that this is basically you know a female version of Superbad, and it features Jonah Hill's sister Beanie Feldstein uh, as one of the two people you know in this movie. But it, this movie is it's much more than a female version of Superbad because this this is such an an accurate, authentic depiction of high school today. And it has such a, a wide breadth of different uh, characters. You know, it is, it's very inclusive in that way and not in a way that feels forced either. Like, uh, you know, as somebody who has uh, a teenage sister who recently graduated high school and, and is gay, uh, I've been witness to, you know, what high school is and how it's changed even since Superbad came out. Um, and I also did, you know, my student teaching. So I got to experience that firsthand as well. And this is, this is just such a great representation of uh, teenage life today. It's ruckusly hilarious. It is um, just just a, a fantastic movie. The, all the supporting characters in this movie are, are great, too, including uh, Billy Lord, Carrie Fisher's daughter, who is like a scene stealer in this movie. And if you, you know, have been missing Carrie Fisher, the spirit of the wild, crazy side of her is alive in Billy Lord in this movie. Um, I, I'm so excited to see what Olivia Wilde does as a filmmaker next because she ha clearly has just a keen eye for uh, not just for comedy, but for crafting a story that has a lot of heart to it um, is uh, visually interesting and just just fantastic overall. And I'm just in love with this movie. And I, I would be very surprised if it uh, didn't end up on my top 10 by the end of the year. Yeah, I think uh, I think all of us agree with all of that. We were um, singing its praises as well yesterday on the on the podcast, and um, I just I hope that people get it. I mean, I hope that 
if anybody out there is listening and is on the fence about this movie, hearing all of us talk about it will convince you to go see it. Because I know it, it hasn't performed that well at the box office, and um, you know it's gotten completely creamed by Aladdin, which was probably expected. But still, I think uh, you know this is a movie that that I think is. I mean, Jake, Jacob has called it like an instant classic, and I think that is uh, an appropriate uh, descriptor of this film. I think this is something that all of us are going to be thinking about for a long time. So I, I hope that anybody who um, you know values our opinion in any way um, takes that to heart, especially, and, and goes out and, and grab a bunch of your friends and go see this movie, because it's, it's really terrific. So, uh, All right, let's jump into the mailbag, guys. There's a couple questions here that I thought would be fun for us to answer. Jason D. from Sydney, Australia writes in, Hey, Peter, I just have a question and request for the mailbag. What music track would each of you want to be in the Guardian three movie and can someone please tweet james gunn to put january by pilot in the movie i think that it would be perfect for that film so i've linked to january by pilot which is a song i'd never heard of before in the show notes already so if you guys want to listen to that you can do that um but i want to open it up to you guys ht do you have any songs that you would love to hear in guardians of the galaxy volume three so at this point he has a zune right I think that's yeah. correct. Yeah, he does. Yes. Do we know if this that does that mean that the songs will no longer be limited to the '80s and it'll just be like whatever? Um, if so, that's too big of a premise for me. Yeah, Brad, do you know? I mean, they haven't explicitly said, but like, since it's a Zune, that means it would have had to have existed after those decades. So I would assume that there's probably some modern music on there. So, um, but yeah, so I mean, it's it, it's. Within, uh, you know, a reasonable thought that we could get some 90s, maybe even 2000s music now. Hmm. Oh Interesting. Goodness. I had not considered that. Uh, okay, so HT, um, to <laughs> to limit the scope of this question, let's keep it to music that would be appropriate for the first two movies then. You know, sort of in line with that. So we don't have to open it up to such a, an astronomic, um, you know, level of uh, choice for you. This is still very hard prompts, I feel like, because the music has to very much suit the the film itself. And I don't really know. I guess we don't really know yet what Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will entail. So I'm just going to go with Toxic by Britney Spears. <laughs> because um, not to be another, not to pull in another Doctor Who thing, but there's an episode of Doctor Who where they go to the year, like, Five billion, and they play toxic in space, and it's campy and weird and great. And I feel like Guardians of the Galaxy three could pull off something like that. I don't know. That's my very random take on it. All right, awesome, uh, Brad. What about you? Uh, so I went with um, with a different month titled song, uh, and I kind of kept it in line with the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, musical style because I would love to hear uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire's September in a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And I think, if anything, it would be a great, like, end of the movie, celebration, we love all these characters kind of thing, and a way to say goodbye to this iteration of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Since James Gunn had previously said that this movie is supposed to complete the arc of this, you know, version of the team. So uh, I wouldn't mind hearing this this song as a, a little fond send-off to them yeah that's a great one uh, my pick is i'd really love to see you tonight by england dan and john ford coley that's a song that uh you've probably heard on like you know adult contemporary stations on the on the radio and stuff um it's not exactly like a, a household name kind of song but it's 
it's also not like a full-on deep cut so i feel like it, it sits right there in that james gunn wheelhouse of like recognizable but not too recognizable um I'll, I'll link to all of these songs in the show notes so people can hear them uh, and don't or maybe i'll I was going to say maybe I'll play them right now, but I don't know if like legally we're allowed to do that. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I like the song a lot. I think it uh, I can totally see it as like a, uh, you know, playing over the, the background of like a uh, Peter Quill um, Gamora romance moment or something or, or maybe one of them longing for the other one or something because Aven- Avengers uh, Endgame sort of reset their relationship in a really interesting way. So um it's not uh, as comfortable as it once was. So now I feel like if if they're interested in uh, rekindling that romance, they're gonna have to basically start start from scratch again. So uh, anyway, this song is is just the one that popped to mind that that I feel like would underscore that particular story pretty well if that's something that James Gunn ends up going with. So uh, yeah, there you go, Jason. Uh, thanks for writing in. And then also we have one more question. Uh, this one is from Tyler from Seattle. He says, hey, Peter and Slash Film Daily Crew, my wife and I have made it a tradition to fly out to L.A. every year for Halloween Horror Nights. We have been adding on a studio tour the last few years, and we've really enjoyed them. So far, we've done Paramount, Warner Brothers, and this year we did Sony. I think those are the big ones, but do you happen to know of any other ones that are available? We would love to do a Disney Lucasfilm or a Pixar, but as far as I can tell, those are not open to the public. Love the show. So, um, HC, you've been to Pixar. Brad, have you been to Pixar as well? I have. Okay, so both of you lucky people have been to Pixar. I have not yet. Um, yeah. You guys have gotten, like, tours of Pixar, you know, as members of the press. Do you happen to know when you were there if there are, um, like, actual tours offered to uh, civilians, like regular people? As far as I know, you have to know somebody there, like, who can get you in to actually take a tour uh, of the campus it's not um, a place that you can just walk up to and like buy a ticket uh, to get a tour of Pixar so that is that is definitely a more uh, exclusive experience yeah um, but I've done a bunch of the uh, Los Angeles movie studio tours and um, I threw this out to everybody earlier in our slack channel HT you said you had not done any of them HT have you have you visited LA I'm, I'm sure I've asked you I this have before, never but... gone to LA okay uh, you got to come out. You got to come out and check it out. Well, I need yeah. to visit. Crash um, on some couches. Do it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so Brad, you have done a couple of these, right? Yes, uh, I did. Well, I've done the um, the Sony tour. Uh, I did like when I first had arrived in LA to do an internship and complete my degree. And that, but that was around ten years ago, and there's not a ton of it that I remember. Except I do remember that they did uh, take us through the. Uh, the Jeopardy soundstage, which was which was pretty cool to see, um, and then and, and weirdly enough, too, actually after the tour was over and we were my friend and I were leaving, uh, we actually ran into Seth Rogen who was coming out of one of the buildings after like having a meeting. So that was fun. <laughs> nice. That was fun. Um, and then I've done the Universal Studios tour, which is um, a ride that you can take, at, you know, once you're in Universal Studios. So since they're going for Halloween Horror Nights, I'm sure that's something that they've probably experienced already. Uh, but that's a cool one because they take you around on um, like a, a golf cart train and you see a bunch of uh, sets that are still standing. Like they take you through like the Desperate Housewives neighborhood and um, through the, the plane wreckage uh, scene in the in the suburbs from War of the Worlds and, and stuff like that. Um, and then there's like a lot of other back lot areas on the Universal lot. Um, but otherwise, if they've covered those, like those are pretty much the big ones. I know that Disney has some kind of big expensive 
behind the scenes like experience that you can do, but it's like a week long thing, and I think you have to spend like thirty five hundred dollars to do it or something like wow, that. Wow, that is yeah. insane. Yeah, because well, it's it's like a it's like a resort thing too, where you go and you stay there, and like there's meals, and like and you get to go do a bunch of this cool behind the scenes stuff. So that, that's a really expensive thing. And that's at the Disney Park in Anaheim, is that right? Yeah, so that's at uh, Disneyland Resort in Southern California, and it gives it gives you like this behind the scenes tour of Walt Disney Studios and the Jim Henson Company lot. Um, and like I said, that's a whole thing where like you're there for six days, and there's meals, and there's 14 different places they take you to, and it's it's really expensive. So if if that sounds like something you can afford or interested in, uh, just go look up uh, Adventures by Disney uh, and see see what that's about. Yeah, that one sounds pretty cool. Um, I. I did, uh, like, several years ago when I was writing for a website called Geek Tyrant, I did a, a full ranking of the L.A. movie studio tours, and I'll link to that in the show notes because it's it's pretty in-depth. Um, but as far as I know, there's only four really big studio tours, and it sounds like um, this person has already done most of them. So Warner Brothers, Paramount, uh, Universal, and Sony. And as you mentioned, Brad, Universal is, like, it's more of a ride almost than like an official tour. It's definitely the most impersonal of the the big four because it's basically just like you get on a cart and you get to drive around and see a bunch of cool stuff, but it's not, you know, at, at all the other tours, you're broken up into like really small groups. And this is just like a massive tour cart with a ton of other guests who jump on it at the same time. But um, I, personally, I love the Warner Brothers tour. That's the one that I think has the most to offer for people who especially love, you know, old stuff, you know, um, DC movies even, but like uh, Casablanca and like classic films, like there are so many really great things that, that they can point out to you on the Warner Brothers lot. Um, it's sad that there's really only four and the Disney lot is in Burbank, but I don't think they do any sort of tour there or any sort of official one anyway. And then now that uh, Disney has acquired Fox, Fox never did a studio tour. Um, you know, their their lot is located in Culver City, California, and they never offered a studio tour. And I'm, I'm very doubtful that Disney is going to suddenly start offering one there now that they've acquired them. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's... Uh, that's the the breakdown, but I th I think um, this person who uh, sent us this message, Tyler from Seattle, I think you've probably already seen the best of the best out there if you've already done Paramount, Warner Brothers, um, Sony. So yeah, I would just say make sure to actually go on that ride at Universal, the uh, the backlot tour, and then you'll pretty much have completed the <laughs> the whole thing there. Um, before we sign off for today. I forgot to mention that Jacob Hall, uh, the managing editor of Slash Film, sent his own suggestion into the previous question about which music he would want to hear in Guardians Volume 3. He said uh, that I should read this on the podcast. He said, Guardians Volume 3 needs to have songs written by Jen Steinman, Classic Meatloaf, The Streets of Fire soundtrack. This is a necessity. Make it happen, James Gunn. So anybody out there who recognizes any of that and uh, thinks that it's appropriate, I'm sure will <laughs> we'll appreciate Jacob's response and, and contribution to this discussion uh, all right so before we officially sign off where can we find more of your work online uh ht let's start with you you can find me writing every day at slashfilm.com and i'm on twitter at htranbui brad always on slashfilm.com also on twitter at ethan underscore anderton and my own podcast go fix yourself on itunes and other podcasting platforms
You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com as well. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. And you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. We really appreciate that. Also, if you could, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That really, really helps us out a lot. Tell your friends about the show, spread the word, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.